When you think you've scored a goal, but you've got a red card instead, it's not so MLS. <laughs> Why did you not think that was funny? In I mean, North- sure, it's what happened, but it's also kind of hilarious, no? A North American soccer podcast with myself, Andrew Bates, and Nick Thornton. Hello. Yeah, I thought that there wasn't enough spin on it. I was like, there's no real joke here. Just something amusing yeah, occurred. This is- this is proof we're still finding our legs here early on in the season where you think you need to say something more than just what actually happened for it to be funny and head scratchy at the same time. I mean, isn't that just isn't that just the leak? Is it some of the things just just happened? That's, and they're just this, isn't... It was just a very MLS weekend is all. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, I feel like it was a feels... I feel like it was a good weekend of games because you you came out of, of Saturday and Sunday with people saying, "Oh my God, you have to watch this." Yeah, there was certainly lots of good storylines um, on both days, and I mean, you know me, I like a good narrative, and so watching some it's nice to, even in week two to see some things start to emerge a little bit where you're like. Mm, Okay, I'm gonna I'm gonna be paying attention to that. I'm gonna be paying attention to that. Um, overall, what? How did you feel? Are you back into it? Do you feel like you're up to speed? Is it overwhelming? Is it weird with the Champions League still going on? Like, how do you sort of encapsulate the first couple of weeks? I think the the, the absence of a Champions League game last week means that I'm feeling I'm feeling fresh. You know what I mean? There's there's yeah. some games tonight, but I feel. I feel that that um, that it was a it, there were some there were indeed some interesting through lines from from week one to week two, and I also think that as much as in the first week that I was like that there was like oh my god there's so many games, um, but I feel like there's a good rhythm of 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 interest all around, but a couple of really key ones that are that were worth looking at, and oddly mm-hmm. enough, I think a lot of really exciting draws yeah i no, i agree with that i think um a couple of the draws told us quite a bit about teams um in the early going do you want to go chronologically well why don't we do that great so first up uh let's talk about new england versus chicago speaking of draws um the much maligned from last year chicago fire had a bit of a rebuild they're at a new stadium um, and New England has sort of been, well, we know what their season was like last year. And uh, overall in this game, I thought there was a lot of really good pressure from New England early on. Um, and then it was just this really sort of devilish cross that came in and the center back just gets completely spun. And, um, and New England is up, I think it was like 20 minutes in. And it was also... My other note for this game was that it was nice to see Chicago Fire with a little bit of fight in them, um, because we've seen them go behind and then kind of just stay behind, and there was a little bit, a little bit more out of them this time around. My one worry with Chicago is that for me, they just don't have a whole lot of bite to them. Uh, what do you think of this game? For the, it really seems this is not one of the ones that I got to spend the most time on, but for me. These are two teams that are both trying to uh, find their feet. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I think this this one sort of falls under the, like, just still sort of counts as preseason type of game. 
Yeah, and I, that's something that you really felt out of, you know, there. it's another sort of road game for Chicago as they're going to get into their stadium. Um, and ultimately, that is also something that we looked the, looked at with New England as well, where if they're kind of putting, they're putting something together um, without having made too many additions, although Adam Buxa is the goal scorer here and looks like his... Um, is fitting in well as a, as a newer player for New England, but yeah, um, neither team able to put you know necessarily their own stamp on it. Mm-hmm. I I think the the one thing I thought here is that I think New England probably could have gotten the three points. They had a ton of chances, um, and Chicago would just always seem to have a guy or two on the line to clear things off. So. You know, by hook or by crook, Chicago found a way to hang on, um, which is a good sign. And I think it's easy to look at a team maybe where they're lacking a little bit offensively and say, okay, well, I have concerns, things could be better. But for me, seeing Chicago be able to defend for 90 minutes um, and still come back and get a goal and get something out of a game that really felt like, for the first 20 or 30 minutes, like it could have been a real rout, um, I I was impressed. I can't honestly say that Chicago Fire look like a team that's going to do a lot without bringing some more players in. However, it was nice to see some of their new players perform. Um, I thought that, you know, as I was looking for for games that are like, what are are the games where it seemed like, you know, interesting things happened? I was ready to um, wave off RSL Red Bulls. But then Mm. I dug into it, and that actually kind of seemed like um, this was one where RSL kind of fought really hard to get that home result. And um, they had, uh, they got a, a goal chalk to off here, but, and it really seems like they were able to take it. But I feel that with the, the opening goal, I almost wonder whether or not the Red Bulls could have done more to put this away uh, before the 91st minute equalizer from Demir Krylock. Yeah, I mean... My major thing from this game, my major takeaway is, like, RSL couldn't buy a goal for the first hour. I mean, they just, ball after ball was going in, and so many shots. Again, balls being cleared off the line, uh, calls not going their way. I thought RSL actually really did show a lot of life. Um, For me, they still continue to be that team that is sort of the underdog. They're going to take points here and there. They're going to cause problems for big teams, but in terms of how many games they're going to win in the early goings of this season, it, I, I can't say it looks all that promising. Um, but uh, yeah, I, I agree. It's it sort of <laughs> leading up to the Krylak goal, you feel like RSL did have um, a bit more of a stake in the game and were putting their stamp on it. Um, and it was a bit surprising to me that it was just well, I guess maybe not. <laughs> There's just a bit of defensive breakdown for that allows Krylak to score. But, I mean, he's a big boy. He's hard to mark um, and effectively beat in the air. So I, I didn't think this was a terrible performance from the Red Bulls. Um, and despite seeing a lot of problems on the field of things just not looking very good for RSL, I was impressed they came away with a point. Shots, well, yeah, well, shots 21-4 for, the, for, for RSL. <laughs> Five two on targets. There was a lot, uh, a lot sailing wide, and especially a lot sailing wide for RSL. Um, but mm-hmm. I feel that I think that you're you're right that that 
at the same, uh, you know, I didn't realize exactly how in the driver's seat RSL was this whole time, but I really feel like um, the positives that we've been seeing for New York don't really outweigh a lot of the negatives, such as getting four in this. But you are right that they probably are uh, lucky to get that point. Yeah, and I mean, for RSL, the thing that I was seeing in the sort of in-between bits and, and looking at their play on and off the ball um, and sort of between goals is just that there's not a lot of pressure from the RSL midfield. And I think with Beckerman aging, they haven't really brought in somebody else that can help kind of control the pace of play. Um, RSL is very, obviously a very fast-paced team. They're great with crosses into the box. Um, so they've got ways of scoring goals. Um, I, I just think that for me, there needed to be one or two more signings for this team to look complete. And they were playing against a team that I feel like is in a pretty similar situation. Two different styles of teams, but I, I feel like the point between them was fair. Um, one of the uh, the the next one is another one of our um, of our fantastic draw matches. Um, the yeah. Dallas Dallas Montreal, in which you kind of see, I think the thing, the the surprising thing for me that happened is not just that Dallas came back from a two nil deficit, or that Arudi was the one that scored both those goals, but that three of the four goals took place after the sixty fifth minute. <laughs> yeah, I mean another. I feel like a storyline for MLS right now is like when your highlights can start at 65 minutes, um, it just seems to take ages for this game to get going. And then all of a sudden, all hell breaks loose. Um, I want to take some like a little bit of time with this game because we've talked a lot about Dallas and about Montreal as being two teams that we have questions about. We can let's go in depth in terms of what happens in the game, but overall, I'm curious to know what you thought of Dallas and then Montreal's performance as a team over 90 minutes. Like, what did you see in terms of a game plan, weaknesses, strengths? Ultimately, it really seems the the weird not that the not that he is the only thing going on for them, but it really seems like. Um, Zdenek Andrasek is like mm. the mm -hmm. light post for Dallas right now. Yeah, and I'm not just saying that because of his hairstyle. Um, but the but, but it really seems that that his uh, his physicality and his available like his ability to, in some situations, get behind defenders, but also just get on the end of crosses and make things happen, really help make this comeback occur. Um. It's interesting because I don't I I have all I've always thought since he was on Dallas that Rudy was very good, but I don't necessarily think that he was as active in finding some of these little scenes as he was mm. uh, here in these first two goals. He you know did the the um, the kind thing in in not trying to exuberantly celebrate in front of his home uh, his former home fans, uh, and as a result. It kind of made both goals seem sheepish in the way that, like, he just exploited these little uh, little seams and little mistakes. You know, Aquanquo um, receives the ball at the far post and hits it. It, it bounces off the far post in a Rudy. It just happens to be the person there. 
and uh, mm-hmm. and buries it home. Um, for the second, it paints off a defender, and he's there, and he's almost he doesn't do this, but it's almost like a ah shucks. Like yeah, 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 yeah. Didn't have to be me. It had, I guess it had to be me uh, or whatever. As 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 he's in front of the home fans, but the thing that I think you're left with, and what Thierry Henry will have to look at, um, is that it doesn't necessarily seem that either of those plays. It's like in both ways, in in, in both sets. There's two different issues with approaches to preparation. In which, or the, the preparation in which both of those goals, I'm not going to say they're fluke goals, but they're not necessarily systems goals that Montreal scores. Um, mm-hmm. Dallas involves a little bit more link up play, you know, with Andrasic putting on uh, the Ricardo Pepe for his uh, first goal uh, with that mm-hmm. with that ball from the side. But it, like, you know, they're all based on his ability to fire up to a certain degree. And that's also what we saw last week. Yeah. Just kind of going back to Rudy, who I know is a player that you, you talk a lot about. And I think for good reason, because this game, as you say, is, is a great example of him exploiting those tight spaces. And I think maybe where we saw, when we saw him in Dallas, there was an awful lot of, um, you know, just sort of having to, you have, he was usually like Reggie Cannon, and I'm trying to think of who the other player would be. Um, but Dallas players bombing down the side and then just firing crosses into the box. And I don't, even though Rudy's a tall guy, I don't think that was ever really his like preferred style because he's actually a pretty technical striker. Like he's obviously he's got good feet, he's got good instincts and reaction times, and he's like he's just a better pouch poacher than he is. Um, you know, a, a target man that's just going to wait for crosses. It's not that he can't score those. Um, I, I just think that he's he's quite good in tight spaces and, you know, and is able to, with his back-to-goal turn and fire away some pretty decent shots. Um, so I, I think that that's great for Montreal. But, I mean, when Andrasic scores, there's five Montreal defenders just standing in a line watching him. And although it's great work from Andrasic because he does this turn and just sends the goalkeeper in the opposite way, I I don't quite know what Montreal's excuse here is. It just tired legs because it's the 80th minute, um, you know, and Champions League on their minds, which they're in the midst of as we speak. Um, and then a, just a poor clearance from Montreal that allows Pepe to score. Um, I kind of from Dallas I see a team that has really worked on their attack and it it seems much more clinical because they have a target man um and just like not great awareness from Dallas on those first two Montreal goals and then Montreal turns around and sort of gifts them the same thing where I feel like both goals were pretty preventable um and it's not to say that they weren't good goals it just felt like this is a game that Montreal kind of let slip through their fingers a little bit with only 10 minutes to go. I think that one thing that you have to look at a little bit is the, um, the, the format here in that um, Montreal had been going with the, the three at the back situation yeah. in, in trying to overload people up front, which worked in the second half. If you, if you're on Anthony Jackson, Hamel watch, he comes off 
and he comes off for Aconquo, who immediately sets up that second goal. Um, mm-hmm. So it kind of really didn't it didn't nece- uh, it didn't necessarily um, kick off until Aconquo gets on, but they're trying to do this overload, which is great. Um, and then mm-hmm. they um, then they get to the point where uh, they're up two one. And they bring on two more strikers. Now, I don't necessarily mean the. I don't necessarily think that you need to completely hold off, haul off, and park the bus. But you got a two nothing. You had a two nothing lead. Um, and I don't know. Oh wait, no, they were listed as forwards, but I guess they were more midfield. I guess one sheet said forward, another sheet said midfielder. So I don't know if maybe they they backed off a little bit on that, but. That might have been the. But I mean, still bringing on an attacking winger when you're, you know, only up by a goal. I I, I can sort of see the thinking, but you know, especially having a ga- another game in two days, you'd think the the more conservative thing to do would be bring on another defender and shore up that defense. And I'm um, ultimately like like if you look at what Dallas's subs are, um, they did bring on people to to have that sort of. Impact where they, you know, they um, they moved away. They had a, a five man midfield, and they brought and they switched to two strikers. Yeah. Um, this might have been the moment, especially with with tired legs and the midweek game and everything you're talking about. That might have been the moment to to have a more withdrawn defensive shape to be able to drop into. Well, I mean. You know, I have no idea what goes into Henri's decision making about this. I'm sure he had his reasons, but you would also think, like, at that point, just see it out. Everybody's tired. You're about to play a game again soon. You've got a long travel day in front of you. Um, see this one out defensively and go into your Champions League match with three points and at least riding the high of the win. But, you know, this was a really hard fought physical match with pretty, at times a lot of running. Um, and you got to think there's going to be some heavy legs tonight uh, for Montreal. And I, yeah, again, I just felt like the, the, especially the last goal is just lack of concentration and just tired legs. Um, and you think a little bit of defensive um, fortitude and ta- tactics at that point could have really helped them. Uh, but... <laughs> the challenge, the it's, challenge, also, if you're just because I'm still here, sitting here looking at the bench, is that they didn't, they literally didn't have another. They had a, a, a homegrown defender who's never played a game for the Impact, mm. um, in uh, Karifa Yao. So they would, they would have had to. They didn't. It seems as though they didn't have somebody on tap that they could turn to and say like this is uh this is the spot for you to go in and do what we are um we know you could do and they are missing uh to Camacho and Rital at a injury so maybe that is maybe they're being affected by a little bit of defensive depth issues yeah for sure yeah i mean that, that certainly would suggest that's the pro there's your problem <laughs> i found it we found the uh expert mechanics here we found the issue um, yeah, if you look under the hood, uh, why didn't they put another defender on? Well, they didn't really have one, turns out. Although I, I'm always a fan of, like, hey, put the kid on. <laughs> like, give him ten minutes to run and just stand him in the middle if that's all you get. But 
Anyway, moving along, uh, a, a team that I think felt a lot of pressure. Well, two teams that actually felt pressure to get a result, but one only one came with it. This game felt like it was shot from a drone, though. I don't know why the camera was so high up in the stands, but it, there was points where you see like fans climbing like a ladder to the nosebleeds in front of the camera. However, that did not affect things on the field. Um, and this is also the game where our, our intro alludes to. <laughs> yeah, okay, so... What do, you, what do you even... Break this down for us. Okay. Because this is a bizarre run of play. So so ultimately, like, this is this this continuing narrative of the idea that despite not necessarily having a lot of... Despite the fact that they're starting up, this idea that Miami is going to rock and roll in and deal with everybody that they um, uh, that they encounter... Um, didn't pay off for them last year, uh, last week. Um, but this week they do get the first goal, and it's 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 almost strange to remember they didn't score a goal in that first game, and it is of course, um, you know our our first one was um, uh, our our first uh, Nashville goal was Walker mm-hmm. Zimmerman, so a talismanic figure, and for. Miami, it's Rodolfo Pizarro who gets on two minutes in this big goal. So, so in a sense, it is sort of fulfilling that idea of, ah, this is the team that we thought we were going to see. This is, you know, they're they. This is the game where they're going to, you know, um, stamp their mark against DC, who's had some tough, who's had some tough times, um, you know, establishing themselves. And they run, they they hold that lead through to. Um, through halftime, but then mm-hmm. you get this strange <laughs> feed, so strange that it doesn't even show up in half of the highlight packages. You have to go scrounging for the footage of what happened. Um, they are on the front foot, and they get a goal from um Lewis Morgan. Lewis Morgan mm-hmm. plays ahead and it bounces in off the keeper, and. We get this big celebration, and we are then told that actually there's going to be, um, I believe, a VAR, and eventually it is a play under review. And far on the other side of the pitch, before everything moved forward, Roman Torres is said to have very subtly handled the ball um, against a player that's on the break. And he's so he is in a in a play unrelated to the goal call. The goal is called off. Torres gets the red. Yeah, and this this is one where <laughs> I mean, there's a lot going on just in that. But then, in terms of the disciplinary decision making here, I guess the thinking is if Torres doesn't handle the ball, then the player's away. Yes. However, at the point in the field where it's occurring, I I find it he's still got to beat the goalkeeper. I find it difficult to call this one denying a obvious goal scoring opportunity. And I agree, at least in the angles that were shown, this is such a slight handball. I think a red. I mean, here's the thing: if you're going to call it a handball for that in midfield, then you kind of have to give the red card. But it, to me, it seems like such a slight call to have to make that, you know, I, I find it awfully harsh on Miami 
Um, but of course, in only in MLS as well, can you be <laughs> you're celebrating your second goal and about to be two up um, on a very good Eastern team, and then in fact you find out that your star center back gets is getting sent off instead. I mean, this one feels awfully fortunate for DC. I don't see much in the call. Um, and then the play following that, there's a very light penalty kick given. Um, and Assad sends Robles the wrong way, and all of a sudden we have a 1-1 game. So, I mean, I know that the referees are doing their best to call a game, but this one really feels like this is just given, you know, hands DC on a silver platter away back into this game that up until this point, I don't really feel like they'd earned. And not that that's how soccer works, but in terms of play-wise, I thought Miami looked the more lively of the two teams um, and like they were going to punish. And then once that tying goal comes their way, um, it starts to feel very, very nervy and Miami start to lose focus and DC finds a way back in. Um, Just sloppy defending of a set piece, which at this point in the season from a brand new team, I can't say I'm too surprised by. And Briant just scrambles forward and just blasts it from a tight angle. But this felt very fortunate for DC and to me doesn't really give me much idea of what DC United is is about at this time of year. Uh, here's Here's two things for me. When it comes to these these two plays, I it's impossible to know what the player is thinking in the moment. But if you are if you are acting under the idea that in in a handball situation the onus is on you to get your hands in, you know, it really does see like Roman Torres has his is almost doing something subtle where he can. Try not to touch it, but maybe you know get a get a grazing on it in such a way that people won't notice. And I think that it would be fair to call it for a penalty if it was in the penalty area. But if you compare in terms of denial of an obvious goal scoring opportunity, if you compare that handball to the Joe Willis handball from last week that was a yellow, yeah. I don't think there's a I don't think that there's a comparison in terms of how Which includes. A keeper handling the ball outside of the box. Yeah, as well. yeah. Like I think it was like, a handball, and and you can you can grouse about it, but it's fifty. You could you, it's 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 a very grazing handball. But if you are, what's the intensity at that distance out? Well, and, and we've heard the talk about. I mean, the, they're trying to get rid of in some way the intent piece, and it, you know, if a ball hits a hand, then it's a handball. Um. So I guess in in that sense, it's fair. Uh, it's it's just, to me, it's kind of unfortunate because if this one feels like it's one of those games where you can be like, oh, DC bought the three points. And I think DC's probably good enough that they could have won this game through other means. It's just unfortunate because, you know, it really puts the pressure on Miami, who I thought overall played probably better for 70 minutes. I don't... And probably should have won the game i don't actually um discount the the free kick for dc because when you see the when you see the replay or sorry the penalty kick for dc because when you see the replay um there's boot midsection and when you have boot to midsection contact 
And you're not allowed to do <laughs> you're not, that, you're saying. You're not. You can't have boots to Well, this is good. I'll do, I'm taking notes because I'm playing soccer tonight. So this is something I should try not to No boots to midsection. Try not to get, to, to, to get in a situation where your boot Me. is contacting somebody else's midsection. Um, the weird thing, and I think that this is something we've seen with VAR, which, which for the most part works well. We talked a little bit this, about this last week. Is mm-hmm. I think there are a number of situations... I don't necessarily have an answer for what the right way to handle a situation like this is. We have a we had a number of situations this week where or this weekend last week where there were foul calls two or three touches away from a goal that were not called that would have been mm-hmm. offensive fouls that would have called the play dead and we hear from the commentators that they're not getting reviewed because they don't lead directly to a goal. So you see you you see all kind of goals that are not being reviewed despite the fact that you can really argue that the play like if I pass if I pass to you and you pass to your pal and your pal scores but I did a foul, I don't know that it's not directly related but it's certainly not unrelated. And here you have this mm-hmm. play that does get the review and does whistle down the pal and it is it the uh, the the foul occurred in a different area code. It just it just seems that the uh, <laughs> the it the the logic is not necessarily worked out between the two. Mm-hmm. I don't know what the right way to 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 handle that when you're waiting for the review because you don't want to stop play. You want to have play be organic and not necessarily like stop play every time you're working out a review. Yeah. But at the same time, if if the play had if that same play had happened, it was a forward doing the same handball, and it wasn't What's called. The statute of limitations on how long it's been since the play happened that they want to call the foul on. If Torres did that same handball on the um, on the DC twenty five, and it wasn't called, it may not have been reviewed. Yeah. So what do you do? I don't know. That's the that's the tough part. Yeah. And I guess and and that gives us some clue is that it, I mean when you do break it down you're like, well, I guess I can see why they're giving it. But it it just seems very very harsh that and it's a turning point in the game um off of something that I don't think has a ton of intent behind it. Um a team that two teams that we we know have very strong lineups and have looked really good so far. Went head to head in Toronto FC and New York City FC, um, and and this one to actually surprised me a little bit. Um, New York City was able to keep all their players on the pitch this time <laughs> from the third minute onwards, um, and but also kind of a bizarre game and one that felt like it was a, a little heavy on the uh, the old refereeing. Well, this is an interesting one to me because you know it was uh, billed kind of in the in the leading up as the first two times that the teams met after Toronto pulled off what I kind of think is a a, a wild win um, mm-hmm. there away in uh, at City Field yeah. um, with a two one win, but. You know, TFC and, and NYC have that built-in history where they've had past. They had the one, uh, the one year where they they 
blew where NYC was looking so good and they blew out seven nothing on aggregate. So it was like you knew something was going to be brewing here. I I'm I'm it looked like it was a frustrating game for New York. And I feel like that is kind of the the thread being carried forward from these past playoff encounters, especially the one at City Field. Yeah. I mean, and things start off with a bit of luck for New York City because Achari, the new Toronto signing, comes on. Uh, well, he doesn't come on. He starts on. <laughs> he scores this, what I thought was a pretty good goal, and then they review it, and it's deemed offside, which I absolutely think was the correct call. He's he's pretty offside in that. That's 10 minutes in, and VAR actually ends up being used twice in 20 minutes in the first 20 minutes. Um... But this is really all Toronto in the first half. Um, I thought New York City FC was sitting a little bit too compact at the back, which I think works really well when they're playing at home for obvious reasons that have to do with playing on a very narrow pitch. But at BMO Field, I mean, Toronto knows how to work every inch of that field and has pace to burn on the wings. And so I think when you allow a team like Toronto to work the ball up and down the wings like that. Um, and we know what they can do cutting into tight areas and passing to very clinical players. I mean, I'm amazed that there were no goals in the first half. Oh, I mean, technically there was. Yeah, there was the one that was <laughs> no disallowed. goals that stood. Pozuelo hit the bar. Uh, I'd heard there was a, somebody thought that there was a, a handball, but I or that there was a, a potential penalty in for Justin Morrow, but I didn't see what that was. Um, I agree with you. I don't think that I don't think that New York City really can sit back with the amount of players that they have. I think that that you know, um, even though they're you know they're, they're lining up with the four across the midfield in in a wider field, I think that that three. I think that like the three pronged attack is something that works for them very well. Yeah. Well, and I, and I just think that when you're defending Toronto, um, you, you, I get wanting to be compact, but the thing is you've got to rely on your, your defenders to, to have their men marked. Um, but watch those quick balls that get cut in and, and try to kill some of those crosses. But when you're allowing players to cross the ball in at will, I mean, you know that you've got tall forwards in Toronto that can sink those balls. I mean, I don't really want to be relying on beating Josie Altidore in the air as my main defensive tactic. So I mean, I'm amazed that it took as much as it did, and eventually it's just one big mistake from New York, and it's one nothing for TFC. But I thought this one could have been 3 or 4 nil for Toronto. Um, a couple of sort of half chances for New York City, but... I mean, it's early days, but considering the depth that this squad has, you you sort of, I felt like it would have been a little bit more of a contest, and I'm surprised that the scoreline was as tight as it was. Yeah, um, I think that when you look at um, New York with the 16 fouls, that's something that, <laughs> yeah. that's something that speaks to me, despite the fact that they led possession. That just speaks mm-hmm. to me as, as like they couldn't, they just couldn't put. They couldn't pull something together in a way that, you know, would be workable in any way. But what that tells me is that you know they may not be able to beat Atlanta or Toronto a ton, but that possession-based game I think is gonna 
serve them well in the Eastern Conference. And, and as they come together a little bit more and their um, the chemistry develops, I, I think that you your earlier prediction of New York City FC being a, a very, very good team this year and perhaps the best squad that they've had, I think that can still hold. Mm-hmm. This maybe wasn't their best performance, but tactically, I guess the thing that I'm trying to say is they have an identity. Um, yeah. And, and they're sticking to that. And they were able to limit the damage against, uh, you know, MLS champions. So it's it's maybe not the result they wanted, but it's it wasn't a poor performance. It was quite the debut for Ifinachi Achara, who uh, was their, their draftee from Georgetown, um, 25th overall. And because um, he got that first disallowed goal, and he, I guess, eventually is credited with the winner which is that that wild one that comes off of a cross i think i think it's a cross or a shot a shot from from wide out in the um on the wing it's called a crotch we've established this yes. uh where <laughs> you hate that so larea <laughs> i found it so interesting because larea sends this in and it's like achara leaps to arrive there with his forehead basically at the moment that the ball was crossing the line to the extent that I like kept rewinding to be like, wait, did that happen? I feel yeah. it's it's fifty fifty, but hey, great great um a great opening appearance against like you said, um a really like a, one of the MLS's great teams, and you have gotta think that that um that is good for the twenty two year old uh, in attempting to make the mark on the wing there. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, elsewhere in Atlanta, no Martinez, no problem. Atlanta is able to get three points against Cincinnati. Oh my goodness. Cincinnati just gets pulled apart like a chew toy for most of this game. Um, you know, Barco gets this first goal, but Cincinnati for the first 40 or 50 minutes looks uh, haggard. And, and just not able to, you know, mark properly. And again, the, the scary thing for, I think, Cincinnati fans is just to see such a lack of a system and, and real breakdown in some of the b- basic fundamentals of, of soccer, which is like you, you have to think that, you know, when you're not winning games and <laughs> you just fired your coach, like, just get the basics down, you know, just line your team up and get them to stay in position um, and, you know, and tell people to, to track their runners. I mean, it's not as easy as that because it's Atlanta. Um, but early going in this game, it, it feels like this is only ever going to be Atlanta. Yeah. Um, I was looking here. Um, I don't, is it, was it having uh, the... I've never seen a stat like this before that... Atlanta collected on zero percent of their crosses, their ten crosses, <laughs> their ten cross hey, attempts. Well, maybe that means Cincinnati was doing something right. But it shows, you know, they're 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 playing through. I didn't, yeah, I didn't take a lot out of this. If you are, um, if you are curious about you, Yakubo, you will be happy to learn that he scored a goal here, um, kind of after the game was um, done and dusted. But it does really seem like Atlanta doing Atlanta things and hitting one of those. Yeah. Uh, hitting one of those, like, mid-season games from last year or the year before where it's like, 
we have a we have here an opponent that doesn't um, that doesn't necessarily hit the mark, and they're just going to get dispatched. Yeah, I mean, I credit Cincinnati for sort of coming back to life and showing a little bit of fight. Um, I don't know what you do about Emerson Heinemann. I mean, <laughs> that kid just seems to to really want to score goals. I think you probably could have put more pressure on him in the midfield so he doesn't get that shot away. But it's such a good goal, uh, and it's twice now that he's done that. I, I think that that's one where you kind of go, okay, well, sure, there's not too much you can do about it. And then, as you say, Kubo he just flat-foots Guzan and, and curls one in. So it's a good goal for Cincinnati which gives them a little bit of something to, I guess, talk about on the, the plane ride home. But, yeah, I mean, it was only ever going to end one way, right? <laughs> the uh, the goal, the next game, there's this, weird, there's this weird thing where I didn't think that there was much in Dallas, Montreal until I started really, you know, piecing through it or, or New York Red Bull, um, uh, the New York Red Bull game. Then when you look at a game like San Jose 2, Minnesota 5, there's almost the same amount of just lack of lesson that you can take from it other than, uh, I don't know, defend headers? Yeah. This yeah, was a basically. mess of a game. It was not good. It was really not good. I just wrote one word, and it starts with F. <laughs> um <laughs> And I mean, you have to think in a seven goal game too, like watching the highlights, you're like, oh, what happened? And you watch it and you're like, ah, kind of nothing in a way. Like somehow between seven goals, um, there just seemed to be like San Jose generated, it looked like two chances and they scored them. And Minnesota generated about 20 chances and scored five. But, you know, I, I was sort of looking through other notes to, to see, like, is there something else I can glean from this game? And hearing Almeida's comments of sort of like, you know, well, you know, this is reality. We have to accept it. This is on us. I'm like, yeah, maybe switch up the man marking system because I don't think it's working. <laughs> like, just, they just get ripped to shreds here. And the thing I will say that it, it still tells us something different is that a, we live in a time, and we saw this a couple of times last season, where Minnesota can score a bunch of goals yeah, and they have multiple goal scorers on their team. And this to me is further proof. Although San Jose defended abysmally, Minnesota is going to do some major damage to teams this season. And, and that's something that I think really is going to shake up MLS. So you have uh this, this starts with Opara uh, having uh, what you think is an okay, or, or I don't know if it's your favorite, but the, the, the far post header where he runs onto it, as opposed to just hanging around and not being marked. Um, I'm all about it, but... Uh, breaks three, four. <laughs> it's not like we don't know what he's going to do. On 12 minutes. Um, there is this play where Tommy Thompson gets clipped and, and San Jose gets a penalty, but VAR takes forever to review it, I guess. Um, mm -hmm. That Erickson scores. Grey Goose is another guy who's able to drift free of his man and, and fires in the go-ahead goal. Um, I wanted to talk about... This uh, Amaria scores again from the header. This is just before. This is the the fourth Minnesota goal. the The penalty kick. I am so over penalty kick rebounds. I have we've talked a little. We talked a little bit about it last year, but this is one where Vega, who 
just was really put upon. There were shots near the end where he's just sort of collapsed on the ground, covered in mud, and I felt so bad for him. Um, yeah. And he saves a penalty here late in the late in the first half, um, and it is immediately scored, uh, collected and scored by Robin Lode. Now I I did the Zapruder back into the left treatment. I kind of think that Lode is moving across the top of the box. Um, as this is, as, as Vega, while Vega is still on the line. That's my feeling. I kind of think that, that, and I think that that's the secret to most of these, to be honest, is, is perhaps the timing might be off. And it just, it feels very unfair on the goalkeeper that they, you know, they, they do their darndest. Um, and then Mm -hmm. somebody just sort of scoops it up. Vako scores again, and Opara gets the brace. Yeah. Yeah. That's, I mean, and that's all you can really say about it, right? I think San Jose really needs to to come up with some answers because they cannot just continue to rely on the same system uh, when it's not working. <laughs> anyway. Speaking um... of frustrating... <laughs> speaking of frustrating reprises of last year's results... It was Vancouver who asked, as their season was 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 dead as the doornail, came to L.A. and I'm going to say we can give the Whitecaps the credit for preventing Zlatan Ibrahimovic from getting the the goal scoring gong because their their uh, yeah. their performance at that time and in, in early in the season they've traveled to Carson again and. Um, I couldn't see, I, I barely saw Chicharito at all. I feel during the course of this one, nothing away. win, it was, it was very much a scrappy win. Um, but somehow, some way Vancouver, uh, despite not looking great last week, um, is able to put together a performance that I think that anybody could be proud of in, in defeating LA at home. Yeah, it it was certainly a gritty win, much, much improved from the Caps over last week. Uh, The big revelation, I think everybody agrees, is Bikel literally arrived a couple of days before the match, got into a training session, and then got thrown in at left back because, uh, or at right back rather, because um, Jake Nerwinski was out with, uh, I think, a hamstring strain. So it was never part of the game plan to have him on the pitch, but I mean kind of a a revelation his ability to defend and um you know his attacking game has a big upside as well so it was great to see from there i mean uh, my sort of like of course it's the white caps there's got to be something where you're like okay it was Uh, good but how was andy rose our best center back (laughs) i mean it's a position he's played before and it's a position he's played before with us and it's a position he plays well but he's a midfielder. Um, and it's a little alarming that, I mean, of course, Godoy is not quite ready to come in yet, but it just was such a night and day difference not having uh, Cornelius there. That For me, this gives Mark Dos Santos two big problems. First of all, wh- what do you do with like the Bikel-Nerwinski problem? Because Nerwinski will give you consistency and work rate, but Bikel... I think just looking at like raw ability certainly seems to provide a little bit more on the attacking side 
and a little bit more assurance on the defensive side. Um, and it's a good problem to have. You want to have two good fullbacks in the same position. Um, but also, if you know, if Andy Rose can provide that kind of defensive steadiness and experience to such a big away game, it's sort of like, well, why don't you just always have them there? It doesn't, it doesn't speak uh, to me to a lot of confidence in Cornelius, which is concerning. Um, I don't know. Maybe they wanted to have somebody that is, you know, if you're bringing in Bikal to have more of a veteran head. I enjoyed Bikal, but, and, and this is not necessarily his fault. I don't think he linked up particularly well. Mm. Um, in some situations, there were areas where it seemed like they were trying to make still make that work. Um, yeah. I wonder if this idea of having Rose at center back just comes from um, the what I would say is a kind of a white cap problem right now of too many for too many midfielders. Mm. We just got so yeah. many. There's no there's no place I could I couldn't tell you where you would put Rose in the midfield, and they want to put Rose in in. Ultimately, Rose ended up playing, so I guess that was where they thought of it. But, but you have a, a somebody that last year was a serviceable center back on the bench. It's strange to me for sure. Yeah, um, I um, I felt that the goal was very like nice and textbook. Adnan to the yeah. Adnan to the line plays back for Ricketts. Just, That's a great goal too. Like I mean, it's it's a very like you know goal that you can see how they drew it up and. But the the difference is having a, a striker that can execute it. And that's what I like so much about having Ricketts on our squad now is that he provides that depth that can still change a game. You know, this, without him, I, I, know, I know this sounds obvious, but without him, we go home with a point and a, a nil-nil draw. Um, but we've seen his ability, even last year in, in a few short games, that he, he can come on and really make a difference. And so... Yeah, he's probably only going to score four or five goals this season, maybe a little bit more than that. But we got a much-needed first win early on um, just through his work rate. And, I mean, the guy was running like an 18-year-old out there. Like, he worked himself to the bone to get something out of this game for us. Um, So that, for me, was a, a big upshot. The LA side, I was actually trying to watch a little bit more because I wanted to be able to have something to say about the Galaxy because we just hammered them last season mm-hmm. <laughs> in our criticism. So I was like, okay, I really want to watch and pay attention and be able to speak to something that they're doing well. But my God, after watching this game, it's really still hard to come up with something because that's like 20 crosses in to your short striker who you, like, when has this worked for them? Chicharito, <laughs> I think, got maybe two or three touches on the ball for the entire game. Um, and I know that there's questions being asked of him, but I'm, I'm like, what system are you trying to play here? Like, I just, I get sticking him in between center backs because that's where he can be good, but you've got to have shorter, tighter passes to allow him to work in those areas. But when you're, you've got a center back that's 6'2 and a center back that's 6'5 and you're throwing in crosses... It's like Kamiri's going to have those all day long, and he did. Like, it just... I don't know what the game plan here was. It really feels... And, and I'm not necessarily going to point to Kleshin coming off, because that was... Was that after the goal? Yes. They... Yeah, a, so. After the goal, there's this red... Joe Corona gets sent off for a second yellow. 
in, in LA kind of comes apart at the seams a little. Um, but even before that, the, you know, I've been looking at how things are, are shaping up with Alexander Katai um, mm-hmm. in what space they're able to find for him and how he slots in. And if you look at that, they've at halftime, they've taken off Jonathan Dos Santos and put on Perry Kitchen. And at 59 minutes, they've taken off Katai and put on Legette. The the heavyweight nature of those four names leads me to feel that they don't really know who is best and who is performing it for them right now. Because yeah. I thought Perry Kitchen yeah. had a great game. Um, I do too. Yeah, and Legette, I think is is somebody that has been positive for me, and I think that that I don't know if there was an issue where where not enough was working, and or if they wanted to switch it up or what, but. I feel like if you were looking for it, if if you're looking for something that you can diagnose in LA prior to um, prior to those goals, it really feels like the way that all of those attacking players are fitting together right now is just not something that they understand. No, no, and, and that you know you bought your seven million dollar toy, but you don't know how to use them. Um. So I, I felt pretty bad for Chicharito in this one, but you know, obviously from a fan perspective, I was like, "This is great." <laughs> I'm just gonna try and keep crossing him the ball. All right, we'll take that. Um, a team that had just a heck of a night and really exploited a team that we we've said we're not too sure how they're gonna look defensively this season. Sporting Kansas City puts a big exclamation mark on their win over Houston, taking all three points, four, nothing. Their new DP, uh, Pulido, is now two for two. Um, I looked up as well, Sporting Kansas City's got five goal scorers across their two games, and they've scored seven goals. Um, a team that I said kind of going in, I was not too sure on, and, and you appraised them definitely higher than I did, well... Uh, I think we know who's turning out to be right, <laughs> and it's not me. They tore Houston apart uh, in a way that is surprising because I haven't been down on Houston. Um, that first goal from Polito is pretty amazing just in terms of how little, if you imagine if you were standing in the place that Polito was, how you could think, ah, yes, this is where I'm going to get the ball into the goal. It's just, it's just it, yeah. feels like the, it feels like he exploits a... a the, the tiniest of seams. And he gets, I think, on to the end of some of these other goals. Uh, he got the assist, and at least he got the assist on Gotti uh, Kinda's, uh mm-hmm. third goal as well. And, and I mean, that's kind of what I would think if you the, – the one thing I didn't uh, anticipate or, or have the biggest read on is, is that this has been a, a key addition for SKC through their two, first two games as well. Yeah, and I think this is obviously where they've been lacking in previous years. Um, you know, I think Christian Nemeth was kind of the, the point person that they had hoped would do more. Um, and, and Polito finally have a real striker. And, and this is what I like about Sporting Kansas City's system is that they have a really good mix of bringing in a player like Johnny Russell, who's got a high pedigree and is just a workhorse and is a physical player. Um, and also quick, but, you know, kind of in his prime. And then they've got a lot of young players. When you look at uh, Gerso Fernandez, when you look at Busio, 
young players that are starting to to come into their own and link up well. And the thing that was missing was that kind of like DP talisman. And I think Sporting Kansas City sets a nice model of you don't need to have three standout DPs. You need an overall good system defensively and offensively, and then you just need one. Um, <laughs> but as a team, they still worked really well. I thought, you know, really, Houston's trouble defending is a lot of it's just lazy. Like, I'll give Sporting Kansas City two of these goals I'm, I don't think many teams in MLS could have done much about, especially the first Polito strike. But the rest of it, I'm like, does Houston know they're playing a game right now? And how many times have we said that about them? Where they're just flat and they're just not quick on their feet and just don't seem to really want it. And Kansas is just wants it more and is able to get a hold of the game and then just bury Houston. Um, there was no point at, in this game where I was like, oh, here's what Houston's plan is and, and they'll be able to come back from this. Uh, it was just like watching them get buried alive. Um, you, uh, after a, a nil-nil draw, or after a nil-nil first half in Colorado, Orlando, there were goals from Eunice Namley and Chris Mueller, but it was Drew Moore on the 90th minute who uh, fires on with a header to give Colorado the 2-1 home win. Yeah, I saw, and I saw some commentary of like, well, Colorado stole the points late in the game again. <laughs> like, I don't think Colorado cares how they do it. Um, <laughs> yeah, there's they got no, six points no, in the, their first two games. <laughs> there's no stolen point asterisk, unfortunately. There sure isn't. Um, <laughs> Seattle uh, drew to Columbus 1-1 at home with, uh, this was the one where, I have it in my notes, hold on. Well, I'll, while you look for that, I'll say that, you know, Zardes grabs uh, a cheeky little goal or relatively early on. Good to see him scoring again and just uh, a cheeky little toe poke. Um, I thought Columbus had great attacking movement in tight areas. Um, and and it's, it, it's a good look for them. Columbus looked far more threatening in this game than I've seen them look in a long, long time. Um, it was a, a handball penalty kick. Sure was. That, that put them away. Which and then, when I see that no score line, I'm like, ah, I see. And it also had to be taken again because the goalkeeper in, – in, I hate the goalkeeper coming off his line thing, but he's so – like he's a full yard off his line early. And, I mean, Pro did say at the beginning of the season they're going to be really harsh about it this year. So I don't think there's much of an excuse. Um, fair result. Uh, does it tell us too much about these teams? Not really, but – I, I, for me, Columbus, um, they they look good, and for me, they're finally looking like a team that's picking up where they left off um, under Greg Burhalter, and, and I think this could be a sign of good things to come for them. Portland get the one nil win at home over Nashville with Valeri scoring early on. Uh, that was one of the two Sunday games, and the other Sunday game is the one I I feel like I couldn't hear. I I kept hearing people talk about. LAFC Philadelphia in a barnstorming 3-3 draw. Yeah. Uh, I mean, what do you say about this game? It wasn't the best from either club defensively. Well, let's get that out of the way. Um, <laughs> it seems obvious, but when you watch it, you'll you'll see it. it's uncharacteristically not great. Um, the LAFC goals are 
you know, Vela, Vela gets this amazing free kick goal. And again, there's nobody in the world who can really defend that. Um, the, for me, the standout of this is you have to talk about the highlight real goal, but Glesnus just, the commentator even says at one point, he's lining, up, he's lining up like he's taking this as a shot and he's 40 yards out. And the easier thing to do, obviously, is whip a ball in to the wall and hope one of your attackers gets on the end of it. Instead, this center back, is he Norwegian um, or Danish? He's Scandinavian in nature, generally. He just fires, just buries it from 40 yards out. And it's not even that. It's a rocket of a shot, but the curve he gets on it as well to beat Andre Blake or to um, to beat um, the LAFC goalkeeper, his name slipping my mind. But this is just, I don't know that I've seen a goal like that. There are a lot of great goals here. In in what I thought that was kind of, it's Kenneth Vermeer is the LAFC goalkeeper, right? Vermeer. Um, is that you see Vela hit this phenomenal free kick that makes me, you know, just shake my head um, from twenty five mm-hmm. yards, where he's in the, uh, he's sort of like in the he's going left to it's going right to left but it still hits the left hand corner Mm -hmm. from round about the center what i think is funny is that you have carlos vela the the league celebrating goal scorer and then glestis lines up to take that same shot from 10 yards back and nails it just the same yeah it's just like if you do nothing else this week just go look at that goal (laughs) like it's phenomenal at the end of the day Two good teams take a point each. Um, LAFC, of course, is going to be busy this week with some Champions League action. Um, You know, Bob Bradley didn't seem too pleased with his team about this, but, I mean, entertaining soccer uh, and probably a fair result this time of the year where there's still some kinks to be worked out. There's a lot. Like, there's actually a lot of great goals here because... You know, if you're going to the store to pick up goals and <laughs> looking up the Glesnes goal, you could also look at the Santos goal, which is a great strike yeah. from 25 years out. Yeah. And you can look at the Diego Rossi goal, which is also phenomenal. Um, yeah, and, and most of those goals, too, I kind of go like, okay, I can see defensively where maybe more could have been done, like the the goals that came against the run of play. But at the same time, like, okay, you can close Rossi down a little bit quicker, but he can also turn you on a dime and still fire off the same shot. So... I don't think a ton of them were like major defensive errors per se. I think that that LA really were poised to take advantage of and it did on two occasions. The period after you score a goal in which you are the most vulnerable. Yeah. Um now it would have been great to maybe see LA not concede those goals in the first place, especially given the fact that they had 63% possession in uh 21-9 edge and shots. Um, but, I mean, they clearly showed a certain amount of uh, of, of sharp edge yeah. in their ability to respond to those goals. It just would have been nicer to see them be a little bit more nailed down to begin with. Mm-hmm. And that's it. That's the second week in the books. <laughs> There's a lot. Amazingly. There's a lot happening. Um, I don't. I think it was a quiet. It was mostly a a, a, a quiet week 
outside uh, the Tournoi de France was taking place um, for the Canadian women's national team. Um, that happened. There was a... Oh, what? Oh, it ended to... Did Brazil... Uh, well, I was watching Brazil-Canada earlier today, and it was 2-0 up. You you walk in at 18 minutes up, and Brazil's up 2-0. Two, two uh, and you're like, oh, no. Uh, but eventually Canada got the 2-2 draw. Hmm. Um, they also drew the Netherlands, who also had somebody sent off and, and lost to France. So, uh, t- well, you know, a, a buckled-in tournament for Canada. I think it's a great test against um, opposition that are at or above the same level as they are heading into the Olympics. But some of the same issues that we've identified are there yeah. in terms of the ability to um, to match tight defensive performance with some goals. Yeah. Montreal uh, impact are down two one against Olympia right now in the first leg of the, um, of their CONCACAF champions league. And we've got uh Tigres and NYFC NYCFC coming up as well as America versus Atlanta will also be taking place on the 11th. Yeah. Should be some good matches. Where can we find you online? You can find me online on Twitter and the old Instagram at That's So MLS. Of course, you can find this podcast at thatsomls.com and on Apple Podcasts, wherever else you find these types of audio things. Where can we find you? You can find me online on Twitter at Team Bates, www.team-bates.com. And until next week. If your team has just got, if your team has just scored, don't get sent off. Don't do it.